This is the Business of College Sports podcast with your host, the founder of businessofcollegesports.com, Christy Dosh. Find her on Twitter and Instagram at sports, biz, myths. Welcome to the Business of College Sports podcast. I'm your host, Christy Dosh, the sports biz miss. And if you're the type of person who generally skips right past my intro into the interview, I urge you to listen to the intro because what we're seeing is that NIL is moving so fast and changing so quickly that even though I recorded just four or five days ago, already there are some things I want you to know that have changed or have come to my attention since we did this interview. Today's guest is Malik Jackson. He is a sports attorney at a Jacksonville, Florida-based law firm, Smith Holsey and Busey. He's also a former quarterback at Princeton. He has taught and coached at the middle school level. So he's incredibly familiar with what high school student athletes might be facing right now when it comes to NIL. So we had this great interview just a few days ago where we talked about the advice that he is giving to high school student athletes and their parents about NIL because in many states, in fact, most states right now, high school student athletes cannot monetize their name, image, and likeness. And it's a little confusing because the NCAA specifically said in its interim policy that high school and younger student athletes could monetize their NIL and not sacrifice their NCAA eligibility. However, that doesn't mean they're not sacrificing their high school eligibility, which is done at the state level. You have all these state associations that govern that high school eligibility. And in fact, the National Association for those high school sports associations came out and said that NIL is not going to be permitted. Student athletes at that level are not going to be allowed to monetize their name, image, and likeness. Uh, Attorneys have come out and said that right now California is the only state where it is safe for high school or younger student athletes to monetize their NIL. There is some legislation being or some policies, I guess, being considered in the state of New York, but that's not being voted on for a little while here. Um, And specifically in Texas, Mississippi and in Illinois, in their NIL laws that they passed to allow college student athletes to monetize their name, image, and likeness, they actually specifically prohibited high school student athletes from signing those same deals. So in Texas, Mississippi, and Illinois, not even an option. It's actually in the law that they recently passed for college students where they allowed it for the college students, but not for the high school students. I just saw a story as I got ready to sit down and record this intro. In fact, if I'm being honest with you, I had already recorded an intro. And then I saw this story and I sat back down to re-record this. And it's why I said not to fast forward through it. Because a story came out today that the number one recruit in the country... His name is Quinn Ewers. He's a quarterback who lives in the state of Texas. He has already given a verbal commitment to play at Ohio State. He may forego his senior season of high school and go ahead and enroll at Ohio State over NIL. He has had companies approaching him already, offering him cash, offering him equity in their companies. There's a great story about it over on Yahoo Sports that I will link to in the show notes. 
He is in a position academically where all he needs to take is one core English course and he could graduate early and could go ahead and enroll at Ohio State. And him and his parents are actually considering that as a course of action, because as I just told you, Texas is one of only three states that specifically prohibits high school student athletes from monetizing their name, image and likeness in the law that they passed to allow college student athletes to monetize their NIL. In most of the other states, it is something that's happening within the state's high school sports association. So obviously those rules could be changed a lot more quickly than the state laws that are in Texas, Mississippi, and Illinois. There is also news that came out uh, about the same time that I was recording with Malik about Mikey Williams, who uh, is a a high school basketball player. He's not eligible for uh, the NBA draft until 2024. He is a native from California who's planning on attending uh, a private Christian high school in North Carolina so that he can play for a, a group called Vertical Academy. I'm not somebody who follows basketball recruiting real closely, I will admit. Um, but it did make me think about the possibility that some of these really elite high school student athletes, and Malik and I talk about this a little bit, but I, I wanted to go into it a little deeper here before I cut to our interview, um, that these elite student athletes can go to private schools or academies that are not part of their state's high school association and be able to both play and monetize their NIL. And I wonder how many will ultimately choose that path, because there's no doubt in my mind that some of them are going to choose that path. It's a matter of how many, what does the marketplace look like? How many of them are at a level with their notoriety, with their sort of uh, personal brand, you know, to and with their social media following to be able to cut deals already. Um, so a couple of interesting stories there I will link to in the show notes and in the blog post with this podcast about Michael, uh, I'm sorry, Mikey Williams and Quinn Ewers. I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more about this. I think that what's happening at the high school level is going to be a really hot topic. I know I've got another piece I'm working on for my blog that I will be posting here shortly. Um, So check that out as well if you're interested in this aspect of it. But I will now give you my interview with Malik where we talked about the advice he's giving to high school student athletes and their parents. Without further ado, here's my interview with Malik. You you have been a NCAA quarterback. You've been a middle school football coach. I mean, you seem to me like the kind of person who, uh, you know, you're outside in your driveway and some neighbor knows your background, knows you're a lawyer and wants to know what you think about, you know, their kid who they think is this elite high school athletic talent. And they want your advice about how do I get my child ready for NIL? What do you say to them? Well, first thing I tell them is just, stay away from agents right now. The reason I say stay away from agents is because there are very particularized rules by different associations, conferences, and institutions as that pertain to agents and their engagement with student athletes. And so for a high school student or a parent, I would say, don't think about engaging in NIL right now. It's not your time. Now, as a parent, you absolutely if you have the financial heft and the capability, you should absolutely think about ways to get entities in place, right? A tax advisor, a lawyer, an accountant. If you think you're going to have a blue chip 
athlete. But again, any sort of NIL setup with an agent where an agent's like sending out inquiries or like having conversations, that's blurring the line. And I would say, particularly in Florida, that is against FHSAA rules. And so any sort of agent athlete relationship with a high schooler is going to be very problematic. I will tell parents the most important piece right now with NIL is to get engaged on the universities a kid wants to attend. Because it's such a fragmented marketplace, sometimes the most controlling piece of this NIL puzzle are the institutional rules and then the state law. And if you have an idea of the institutional rules, you can get a gauge on the type of NIL activity you can engage in when it's permissible. But for parents, I mean, there have been parents have asked me, hey, what's this NIL deal? Can my kid and I say, hey, in Florida, if you engage in NIL deals on behalf of your kid or if your kid does it, your kid is going to be ineligible. Okay, and it's really hard to get a college scholarship when you can't compete. What do you think about the possibility of top high school student athletes taking NIL deals, foregoing college, and setting their sights on pro sports? What most folks are kind of losing in all this is the inherent value of college. When you have multimillionaires, billionaire adjacent folks that are willing to pay six figures, close to seven figures to cheat so their kids can attend a particular institution, That should send off red flags to any sort of adult that's trying to dissuade a high schooler from going to college and telling them to engage in NIL because they're going to go pro. That's crazy, right? People who have theoretically intergenerational wealth have made terrible decisions to put their kids in particular institutions. Who am I to tell a particular parent or student that they should engage in NIL right now when I know the pot of gold that's waiting when you go to college, when you engage with people from different backgrounds, right? When you are a member of a football team, a basketball team, swimming team, whatever that looks like. You know, I I talk about this often at Princeton. I have 200 teammates plus. From my time, from being a freshman to a senior, I have 200 plus men that I can call on that are in various industries. Mm -hmm. I do not feel comfortable telling a student athlete you know, to, to throw away their college opportunity because of some NIL pennies now when I know that there are big dollars, again, at the end of the road. And so parents are telling them, don't do NIL right now, okay? If you want to do something, absolutely engage with an accountant or attorney just so they can tell you what's permissible. And the last piece for parents is to be on alert for any sort of recruiter that mentions any sort of pay-for-play or inducement, even if it sounds like it, file it away. You need to pay attention to folks that are going to skirt the line for NIL and pay for play is totally impermissible and unlawful. Okay. So if you're seeing any sort of those behaviors as a parent, you should just step in outside of that. I think it is faulty for a parent to try to induce or spur NIL deals prior to a kid graduating high school and then becoming a young adult in college. Now a very, different window is that window of time between the end of your senior year athletic participation in high school and your college enrollment. There's a little gap there. And then if even before college enrollment, just graduation date, I think ultimately local school boards, um, school districts, and probably legislators are going to have to create a specific timeline of when athletes start participation and when they stop it. But again, if you're a student athlete, I think the only period of time where 
I would feel comfortable with an athlete exploring NIL options would be after they're completely done with athletic participation in high school. So like right now, we're, we're talking about this in July. We're going to release this podcast a few days after we record it. So it's still going to be July. If we've got kids here, and we'll keep using Florida as an example, even though I know our listeners are all over the country. Yeah, you know, I think yeah. This is a good example. Florida was yeah. one of the first states to pass a law. A lot of the other state laws look a lot like Florida. So if yeah. you've got a kid here in Florida who has now graduated high school and is headed off to play football this fall somewhere, what would you say to them about whether or not they should be paying attention to NIL opportunities right now during the summer? I would say student athletes should absolutely pay attention to NIL opportunities if you're an intercollegiate athlete, right? You're starting summer A, summer B, you're getting on campus, you're an adult at this point, okay? You're a college student, so I think any college student should be aware of what's going on in their industry. And so that's how I would approach the student athletes. I do think it's going to be very important for athletes to keep perspective and understand competition is number one participation is number one right don't let nil detract from your responsibilities as a teammate right as a member as a participant in the athletic program um and so that's the only advice right the nil opportunities are going to be there be a good teammate if you hit the field you're probably going to get better nil deals than other people on your team that's the only promise yeah all right that's all you can promise you know and it might come to a point when, you know, you'll have an athlete who tries a hundred different NIL things, right? Just to try to monetize, just testing out. And then, you know, we could look back 30 years from now and it's just that one bobblehead that really was the moneymaker for that player. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just one bobblehead. It's like passive income at this point. Right. And so we're in the baby stages of it. So, you know, if you're an athlete coming into college, I don't think it's prudent to come in to a college program you know, even with the upperclassmen and whatnot and just talking NIL. You know I mean, you just got to campus. I mean, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know? I mean, you you should absolutely think about it again, but you haven't even declared a major. And you're coming in talking about NIL money, right? And I think it's going to be tough for team dynamics. But, again, people are adults. And envy and jealousy has been a component of locker room since the first locker room. So, you know, that's – I'm not as worried about that, but I think for a freshman coming into college, you will have the game twisted if you're more worried about sponsored posts than attending class, balling out, and keeping it cute. Like, that's it. Like, it, it can't be more complicated than that. Once you get to your sophomore and junior year, then you can start exploring those opportunities. What about top men's basketball players, so many of whom already leave college after only one or two seasons? Clearly, if you're a basketball player, right, you're operating under the one and done regime. So you're going to look at NIL differently than another freshman for another sport. I, I think I have to acknowledge that it's a different analysis based off of the sport and the gender. And does the sport have a professional league? Right. The NIL discussion for a football player is totally different than the NIL discussion for a softball player. And we have to acknowledge that. Um, but if you're a player going into college right now, you absolutely should know because, you know, you're going to college, you need to read things and know what's going on in your state and at your institution. But I, I think it would be detrimental for an athlete to look overly invested in NIL as a freshman because it's going to turn off your teammates. It's going to turn off your coaches. And if you are somebody who's extremely interested in NIL as a freshman, again, I would have been a guy who would have been reading everything about it. You want to make sure that you have a team or some people that you trust that can look into stuff for you, 
right? And this isn't making inquiries. This isn't doing anything untoward. This is literally, I'm interested in name, image, and likeness. I wanted to ask you too about sort of the layer under this. So what about the student athletes who are getting recruited right now? What sort of questions, if any, do you think they should be asking of college, you know, football or basketball or whatever sport they're in? What should they be asking those coaches about NIL and the opportunities that might be available in their town or on their campus? And I, I understand that coaches can't make promises. They can't make inducements. However, it's been made pretty clear that they can give like examples of what yeah. other people are getting and yeah. that sort of thing. So yeah. if you were advising the prospective student athlete, what kind of questions do you think they should be asking these coaches? Um, I think the first question if you're a student athlete is to ask if the institution has an NIL branding or marketing program. It's a great start, right? Just see what resources the university has that they're not trying to hide or act like it's bad, right? It's like, we hired this person to come here and teach y'all branding and marketing. That's totally fine. You just want to know that on the front end. The next piece is to figure out if they hired somebody as an employee or if they contracted it out. Mm -hmm. So you want to know if it's some third party that's going to come in, helicopter in, talk about it and leave. Um, the next piece you want to know is, and this is where it gets dicey, as a recruit, you don't want to ask any question that will put a recruiter in a tough position. What do I mean by that? Don't ask a recruiter what kind of um what kind of nil deals should i expect at x institution right that's foolish right you're setting that coach up for failure you're setting yourself up for failure and we don't know who's going to be made an example of yet like we don't know that i think we all are kind of waiting with bated breath to see who's going to get smacked down but i think that would just be too easy so again if you're a player and you're getting recruited don't ask a question of that coach that you know makes them or provides an opportunity to say something that violates the state law. Um, the next piece is just say, hey, what is your understanding of the name, image, and likeness statute for the state? Just ask them their understanding. And again, that's open-ended, but coaches should know and they should have a blanket statement by now that in this jurisdiction, student intercollegiate athletes are able to earn compensation for the use of their name, image, and likeness. Boom. Done. That's it. Yeah. You don't have to say, oh, you can get it with this partner or this business. You can just say, you come to this institution, which happens to be located in this state. Any athlete in the entire state is able to earn NIL. The goal is going to be for a recruit um, to ask questions in a way that are applicable to everybody, not just themselves. You don't want to make it like you're just doing pay for play or an inducement, right? So don't ask about, you know, don't ask about such and such booster that everybody knows about. Like, just be smart. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it, again, I, and I'm trying to give good advice, but I think as a recruit, you don't want to set up a coach because they remember that. And quite frankly, you just want to know what do y'all have in store? Okay, so if you create a program in-house, tell me about your program. And that's usually a great way to kind of get a gauge on things. You know, it seems like to me a good time to be in your line of work. It's just a real time to be into sports law because I can tell you, even with that, right? I mean, Alabama, the way they have their law set up in Alabama's policy, Alabama has to approve their football players' contracts before they enter into them. Right. 
Now, in Florida, a player can enter into a contract. They just need to disclose it after four days. That's fundamentally different, right? It's like, let me go get permission first and then enter into it versus like, oh, let me ask for forgiveness later. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, and I'm not trying to make it detrimental on, on the gator side. You know, I have three, four gators in my immediate family. But it's, again, the point is when you start thinking about the opportunity to just mess it up, if you're a recruit, why would you bring up NIL when you're getting recruited? It's kind of like it's implied. You know, if I go to X school, which happens to be the flagship university of X state or Y state, right? Like I'm going to be able to earn X amount at a minimum because I am one of 80 something boom scholarship players. Like I'm just starting from the assumption that every scholarship player is going to have at least one NIL deal. You know, that makes me think of the deal we've already seen happen at Miami where yeah. we've got this MMA gym that's come out and said, you know, every scholarship player on the roster can opt in for this $500 a month opportunity with his gym, which involves having to do, you know, social media promotion and some yeah. in-person yeah. stuff. You know, you, you've got to fulfill your obligations as a student athlete. But yeah. if I'm a recruit and I'm looking at that, it's only a one-year deal. But if I, I'm a recruit and I'm looking at Miami, I'm thinking, well, you know, it's at least somewhat likely that they will do this deal again next year. And if I go to Miami, you know, I'm getting at least 500 bucks a month from this deal they've got for the whole football team. You know, what do you think about those sorts of deals starting yeah. to pop up and how that might impact recruiting? Well, I, I'm going to say Miami is functioning in a different NIL environment than other institutions in the state of Florida because they are a private university. Miami is not subject to the Board of Governors and uh, the State Board of Education. And so the regulations and rules that are passed by those entities are not applicable to Miami. So Miami's task is just to follow the law as best as they can. OK, and so through their interpretation and with other third parties um, around their program, I won't say affiliated because that's loaded now, you have a situation where a provider saying, hey, this is a base NIL deal for everybody on the team. That is that's from an entity that is not the university. I don't know the degrees of affiliation. I think we're going to kind of get into some hairy areas when we figure out when did you enter into contract with this institution? When did you enter into a contract with this coach? Right. When did you stop being a member of the board of trustees? Right. If you're on the board or if you're on a booster, how many companies do you own? Do you control? Those are going to be kind of the hairy issues. But in Miami, particularly, they're figuring out a way to say, hey, we're going to offer a baseline of NIL opportunities. That's fine because it's with their quarterback trying Derek King spurring relationships and his team of advisors and other folks. And that totally makes sense. But the line and Dan Mullen hinted at this is at what point does that group NIL deal bleed into pay-for-play and an inducement? Right. Yeah, because I'm not implying they're doing anything wrong now, but it, it's, it, it's interesting because that deal happened like the first or second day of yeah. this new NIL era. And yeah. I think it just shows us how quickly that gray area is going to grow. Yeah. Where we're like, well, wait, is that okay? And like, yeah. if you just tweaked it this little bit, is that okay? Like, yeah. you know, where is the line? And because we're dealing with all these different 
layers. You've got, you know, very broad sort of guidelines from the NCAA. You've got state laws in some places. Yeah, You've got exactly. institutional level rules. Yeah. And so everybody is executive orders in other places. So um, we're not all playing by the same set of rules, you know? Yeah, we're not. And, and so again, for a place like Miami, I think they're working in their unique context. And what you'll see in any marketplace, right? A competitor, a la UF, Florida State. I expect other institutions in the state to needle Miami if they feel Miami's getting an unfair advantage. Right. If someone can make the nexus between group NIL deals for every player on the team just because they're a member of the team, maybe that bleeds into a pay-for-play and an inducement. The issue with that is going to be the degrees of affiliation and relation between the NIL provider. If I provide NIL opportunities, but I am not affiliated with Miami, I just want to give it to every Miami you know, football player or athlete, that's going to be hard to kind of prove a pay-for-play or inducement. The issue is going to be, you know, the, the text messages, the phone calls, the DMs. You know, it's going to happen somewhere. We don't know where, but at some point, some NIL provider is going to get burned. And when it happens, tea is going to get spilled. And when that tea gets spilled, secrets of how different institutions, recruits and their families maneuver around NIL are going to come to the forefront. And so if you have a third party that's willing to offer NIL deals for every member of a team, I say, you know, kudos to you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the trouble is making sure that it never bleeds into any sort of affiliation with the university. Yeah. And how do you do that? I mean, literally, if you have 20, 30 guys from the team coming in and out. Right. It's almost like it has that imprimatur, all right, of the state or of the of the of the of the institution. Right. So you have to really grasp that. But I I think Miami's doing what they think is right. And I think. Coach Mullen is saying what he thinks is salient. And now we're going to enter a space where you're going to have different institutions operating under different rules. And ultimately, if you just make sure you stay away from two things, pay for play and, and, and inducements, I think you're good. Yeah. Um, but the pay for play and the inducements, that's still related to this notion of you not engaging with NIL with the wrong kind of people. You know, you're going to have to find out, are you in an NIL deal? Does that person work for the university? Are they on the board? Have they donated? Again, people aren't making those analyses, but that's what's going to have to be if you want to see if somebody's affiliated, if they can actually enter into an NIL deal with a particular student athlete. If I was on a board of trustees three years ago, am I still affiliated with the institution if I want to provide NIL opportunities to a player? Well, and the, the timing of when they approach the player or approach yeah. the parents, you yeah. know, you mentioned families and I've been thinking a lot about, you know, obviously some of the scandals that have come out in past years in football and in basketball, you know, have involved things that did happen while these student athletes were still in high school. And some of them got filtered through parents with parents, you know, getting jobs or cars or cash. Um, when these student athletes were still at the high school level and making that college decision choice, you know, what are the sorts of things that parents of high school student athletes need to be looking out for and understand in case they do get approached by people who want to talk about NIL before their student has enrolled in college? I, th I think the concept of offense is so important. You put a fence around that kid. You do everything in your power to protect that kid's eligibility and their future life prospects. So somebody comes approach you about some NIL deals, you just, you, you go rude, right? You become rude, right? You leave, 
So I'm not talking about that right now. I'm not, I'm not discussing that right now. We're not discussing that right now. We'll discuss that when he graduates. We'll discuss mm-hmm. that when she graduates. She's not prepared to discuss this right now. We're not prepared to discuss this as a family. And that level of assertiveness is going to be something you have to practice anyway if you're going to be approached with NIL deals, right? Yeah. It's how to say, no, don't talk to me right now. You will not imperil my kid's eligibility. My kid loves her teammates. My kid loves her coach. My kid will be crushed if they couldn't compete their junior and senior year of high school. That's the conversation. So you, you kind of got to scare people. But if you're a parent, it's like, do you want to risk taking money under the table that imperils your kid's eligibility in high school and potentially college? Is it worth it? I don't think so. But again, these are decisions parents will have to make. But I think if you tell parents it's totally OK to just tell an NIL provider, leave me alone. Like, don't talk to me right now. Like, wait until I graduate high school. Can you wait for me to enroll in college? Like, I think that's extremely reasonable, especially if we're talking about kids. And parents are supposed to be the filter for kids. And so you're supposed to protect them. So they need to protect their kids. What about parents who are the problem? Because well, that's and that's actually going to be the problem. That is going to be the problem, Christy, I believe. It's going to be parents who are leveraging their children's prospects for their own pecuniary gain. Right. Parents who are registering trademarks and starting online tours before their kid has gotten to college, you know. What would you have to say for parents who, okay, yeah, look, I'm an entrepreneur. I understand having a good like entrepreneurial spirit. And you've got this moment in time when your you know, kid is potentially a four or five star prospect. You know, these parents who are thinking about setting up trademarks and merchandise and online stores before their kids even started college, you know, what's your advice to them about how to approach that or when it's appropriate to approach that? <laughs> and that's a loaded question. Probably the safest period wouldn't be when that high school athlete is done competing in high school, period. Like they won't compete in high school, definitely when they graduate. Um, the issue is any sort of income that's that arises attributable to the parent or maybe it's to the kid. But, it's you know, on behalf of the kid, the parent signs for it. That is taxable income. Right. And that is contracting. Right. That's a bargain for exchange. Right. Mm-hmm. It's compensation for an act. Right. And so then we're dealing with litigation. We're dealing with getting into some sort of court to approve a minor's contract because they don't have the capacity to contract. And then the other piece of that is, right, we're, we're really going to get into fiduciary issues, because if you're a parent and you're getting all the money for a player's um, NIL deal, a kid's NIL deals, you have a fiduciary relationship with that kid and their money. A court is going to have to approve that contract. So it's going to have to be litigation. They're going to have to look at the terms. They're going to have to look at all that. And if you're getting paid because of your your kid's performance or their participation or their NIL, you're going to have a guardian ad litem appointed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So like now we're talking about guardianship. That's where it's heading. So if you're a parent and you're starting to open up entities and sell merchandise, you better think about you better think about ways to engage an attorney to discuss the the potential pitfalls to engaging in, in contracts on behalf of your kid, right? Because again, you're going to need to get in Florida these contracts approved, especially once you get past a certain threshold of contract value. 
I think that leads into a good question that I've gotten because folks know that I used to practice law and they have been asking me, you know, when do they need an attorney? You know, there's this idea that you've got a, the deal you're being offered has to be like a certain dollar amount before it makes sense to get an attorney. And I get that from the perspective of, you know, you could quickly spend more on attorney fees than you might make if we're talking about a you know, hundred dollars for an Instagram post or something like that. But, you know, wh what's your advice in terms of what kind, what student athletes and what kind of deals they're doing, do you think they should go to an attorney and start getting somebody involved with that process? Um, you should go to an attorney with any issues pertaining to state lines, right? If you cross state lines, you need to go to an attorney. If you're going to earn income in a different jurisdiction than you live, you need to go to an attorney. Mm -hmm. If you're going to attend college in a jurisdiction different from where you grew up or you play high school sports, you probably want to go to an attorney. Again, I don't think it's some people try to act like it's going to be a ton of hours and billables. Really, you just need somebody to just explain like, all right, you're going to this jurisdiction from this jurisdiction. Right. If you earn this amount of money, you mess up your parents income tax return. Like all of that is relevant. So I think tax issues, state lines issues. I think I think if a coach approaches a player with some sort of pay for play opportunity, I think that's a great time to go to an attorney and just to talk with them. Yeah. And I think anything that would impugn a kid's eligibility, that's when you want to get attorneys involved because NIL won't be possible, right? If you're not, you know, competing. I mean, yeah. it's that. So again, state lines, tax issues, if any sort of recruiter offers you pay for play or an inducement, I think you need to talk to somebody in real time just to keep note of it. Um, and who better than the officer of the court? Yeah, I, I've told you some of the legal services. I mean, they're just expansive. I mean, and, yeah. you know, right now it's not even just the student athletes and their parents, right? It's providers that want to enter into NIL deals with the student athletes, but don't know how to broach it. Or they don't know that they need to craft a contract a particular way because they drafted in such a way that might imperil eligibility or be unlawful or against policy <laughs> for a particular school. So that's all relevant um, for an attorney, but I think anything dealing with eligibility, any sort of eligibility issues, any sort of NIL offer before a kid is an adult, probably talk to an attorney. And I think if you know you have a blue chip recruit, you should have an attorney on call now, right? I mean, just somebody you could talk to, and it doesn't have to be a ton of hours, right? You might just have a question for 10 minutes, another for 20 minutes, yeah. right? You should have somebody that you're comfortable calling to ask questions so you don't go down um, the wrong path. Um, but I, I think the state lines issues, I think the minor issues are going to be huge um, for an attorney. And I think if you're a parent trying to create any sort of entity and you're accepting any sort of income because of your kid's athletic participation, you need to talk to an attorney. You might advise parents anything, any agreement a kid can't enter into, you can't either. Agreed. If, you're, if your kid can't enter into an NIL agreement, you have no business entering into that NIL agreement. Right. And this is if the parent is signing on behalf of their student athlete, their minor. But again, that's it's going to be hard to tell parents to your earlier point. You know, they think, oh, I'm smarter than the average bear. I can do this. And it's like if we try to compare what Cam Newton's father admitted to doing with taking income and payment for Cam Newton to play, that was still under the NCAA. That's not unlawful. That is just breaking rules. Right. But technically it wasn't even breaking rules because there was no rules on. The, there were no rules on the books that were directly on point with payments being made to a parent unbeknownst to the kid. So the story was Cam Newton didn't know that his dad was getting paid. 
right? And who is the NCAA? They don't, they're, again, they're not a government. They're not a governmental agency. They don't have force of law. So again, if you're a parent now, I'm going to tell you, this isn't Cam Newton. This isn't, you know, like a up, you get a freebie. If you accept money because of your kids' athletic participation, right? And we're not seeing contracts in the circuit court, right? And again, this is in Florida. We're not um, having those contracts disclosed to an institution, right? You're going to start running into trouble. It's perilous. And so as an athlete, if you're just coming in, just, just be cool. Perform as well as you can. The NIL deals are going to pop up in the most unique circumstances and it's going to be somewhat serendipitous just do not um i think it's folly to go into college like i'm gonna be nil guy or gal and you're like wait a minute your job is to be a good citizen to be a good student athlete and if you go in focus on nil rather than being a good teammate you're not gonna last here's your chance if we've got folks listening in florida where you get to shamelessly plug yourself what type of clients do you want to come find you what kind of issues do you want to solve and help advise on well it's interesting right now the issues i was primarily attuned to were issues dealing with student athletes and their parents my experience as a recruited athlete d1 player i understand that parents are the last line of defense to protect student athletes what I've found just through representing different clients on different matters, that there are so many different entities that want to engage on NIL, but they do not know what's permissible from right. a legal or regulatory standpoint. And so it's been fun for me as a as a new, younger attorney to engage with NIL providers that are trying new ways to you know, figure out how to compensate intercollegiate athletes. I mean, I get a lot of joy out of that because it was something that wasn't available to folks that were recruited with me um, when I graduated high school and went to college. So to see that evolution and to know, you know, in, in four to seven years, there's going to be a whole batch of student athletes who won't really know about like, you know, NCAA not letting NIL deals happen for college athletes and like, right. You know, they're 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 going to not have that memory. And so that's exciting. But that also means we are in the midst of a multi-billion dollar industry that appeared out of thin air. And it's about creating best practices. So when the feds do pass national legislation, we know what works. That's very important to me. And that's what I'm focusing my practice on is knowing what works. So I can tell that to legislators and I can provide great services to students, parents, NIL providers and some coaches who just want to know the pitfalls. Yeah. Um, that's that's where I'm at, Christy. It's a it's a fun time in Florida right now. We have ma massive um, respect for the state jurisdictions that force the issue with NIL. California got the first swing in and then we decided that, you know, we wanted our swing to land first. Yep. That's all well and good. This is America. That's how it's supposed to work, right? So we have a competitive marketplace. We have student athletes able to compare side by side, you know, where they want to attend school based off of what they can earn off the field and the opportunities that provided through the institution. I mean, it's a new world. So it's exciting. But for me as an attorney, I mean, the opportunities are somewhat endless and it's just about figuring out what your principles are and where you won't go, where you won't tread. Yeah. And clearly, as you know, my line in the sand is, you know, I'm pretty anti-NIL for high schoolers that want to go to college. That's 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 tough for me. I just I have a lot of problem. I have a lot of problems with figuring out, you know, how to protect student athletes if, you know, they just 
throw away their eligibility for a couple hundred, a few thousand bucks when they're like 15. Yeah, I, I think just, it's an important discussion. Yeah. So that's where I'm at, Christy. Thanks for joining us and chatting about this. I think it's uh, there's still so many questions out there, a lot more questions than there are answers. So I appreciate you taking a little time with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you again to Malik for joining us to talk about the issue of name, image, and likeness for student athletes who are not yet in college and the advice that he would give them as they think about pursuing the monetization of their name, image, and likeness. If you have an idea for a future episode, I would love to hear from you. You can DM me on Twitter at sportsbizmiss, that's M-I-S-S, or you can shoot me an email, christy at christydosh.com. I love hearing from you. I want to know what you need to know more about right now, whether it's NIL or it's something else. I always want to bring you guests who can help you learn more, do your job better, uh, and just get a better feel for this landscape in college sports, which we know is so quickly changing, not only because of NIL, but now we've got conference realignment to talk about. So for sure, I will find a great guest who can bring us more on that. But if you've got other other ideas. I'd love to hear them. And if you have time, I would be so grateful if you went to your iTunes and, uh, or if you're on another platform and left us a rate a rating and a review that helps other people find the podcast. I'm so appreciative to all of you who have already done this. Thank you. I appreciate you being back with me every week. Until next week, I hope that everything is going wonderful in your world. I will be back with you again next week with another great guest.